Welcome to the podcast of Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Please enjoy as Pastor John opens up the word. Okay. Well, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. As we continue our way through this incredible letter, And the author, John, has been focusing on this theme of relationship. And we're going to examine another attack that can come to this relationship as we look at this whole area and idea of spiritual deception this morning. So, 1 John chapter 4, let's begin with verse 1. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now if you remember from last week and and just flip back to the last verse of 1 John chapter 3 for a moment. Verse 24, John says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him and by this we know that he abides in us by what by the spirit whom he has given us so in other words it's very plain that everybody who is a believer in jesus christ everyone who has put their faith and their trust in him for their salvation they have the gift of the holy spirit given to them Believers in Jesus Christ have His indwelling Spirit abiding in them. Now that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? But there's a difficulty with that, isn't there? Because not only is there the Holy Spirit of God abroad in this world, there are also demonic and deceptive spirits. Spirits whose purpose is to draw us away from God or at least distract us. And so that means that not every spirit is of God, right? So John recognizes this, and here in verse 1, he addresses it by saying that we should not believe every spirit. In other words, don't assume that every spiritual experience that you have or every demonstration of spiritual power is from God. We must test these spiritual experiences. We must test these demonstrations of spiritual phenomena to see if they're really from God. You know, more and more people, in their desire to have some kind of a spiritual life, have been lured into a very dangerous place because of that. And many people have had some kind of spiritual experience that's not based on Jesus Christ. They'll have a spiritual experience from reading tarot cards or from going to a fortune teller or a so-called psychic and they've had some kind of mystical experience or some strange out-of-body experience that they couldn't explain, something that came to them in the middle of the night 
And it was very real and it was very emotional. And you couldn't make sense of it and you wondered, is this of God or is this of the devil? I mean, what is this? But then you have, on the other side of the coin, you have those people who live their whole lives without ever recognizing the reality of a spiritual realm. They live in the real world. <laughs> You've heard them talk about it. A world of material things, a world of flesh and blood things. If, I mean, if they can't see it, if they can't touch it, if they can't measure it, if they can't put it under a microscope and observe it, it's not real. But my friends, there is an unseen world. There is a spiritual realm. And just because we can't see it does not mean that it's any less true. And many people are amazed at merely coming into contact with the reality of a spiritual realm. But they never stop and take that step back and ask the question, is this from God? And so John says here in verse 1, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Why? Because, he goes on, many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now I find it interesting that John could say that in his day and age in the church. I mean, I believe that back in the church, you know, back in that, you know, in that time frame, the church may have had a purity that it doesn't have now. Or a, a spiritual life that the church doesn't have now. But even in that day, John could say, false prophets have gone out. False prophets are a difficulty in the church that we must be aware of. And if that was the case then, how much more is it now, in our own day. And this opens up a question, doesn't it? Who, then, exactly, is supposed to test these spirits? I mean, it says to test the spirits. <clears throat> is it just like a few elite people? You know, kind of, sort of like the Christian counterintelligence? No. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, 29 says, let the others judge. And he goes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, he says, test all things, hold fast to what is good. Testing the spirits is the work of everyone in the body of Christ. And this job is to be done by using the gift of discernment that God has given to the body, especially those who are in leadership. And what I'm trying to say to you very simply and plainly, whenever somebody says, the Lord told me to do this or that, we shouldn't just say, okay, <laughs> sure. He, I mean, he said it was from God. I mean, I, I guess we'll just accept it, right? 
No. It should be judged. It should be assessed. It should be tested. And how should it be tested? By scriptural standards. And if it does not align with God's word, then we do not accept it. Big, fat, period. No exceptions. My friends, we as believers operate under a very, very basic premise that God does not contradict Himself. God is not confused. Amen? God is not some politician who says one thing one day and another thing on another day just to please whatever crowd he's in front of. No, God does not contradict himself. And he has given us his eternal word recorded forever in the pages of Scripture. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So whatever he is saying to us today will never contradict what he has already said. And this means we can accurately judge when, whether something is coming from God by testing it according to what it says in the Word of God. But I'll tell you something else, another way that we can know the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 1.20, it says, True prophecy is never of any private interpretation. Do you know what that means? That means that when there is a true word from God, there is not going to be just one person in on it. In other words, it will be known among many people in the body of Christ. There will be an agreement and a confirmation through the body of Christ. My friends, if I were to come up to you today and in all sincerity that I can muster in my heart, no joking around, and say to you, God told me that He wants you to quit your job. And you can wait for another job that's going to come along your way. You know what? You shouldn't do it. But if God was stirring in your heart already that you should quit your job, and then I was to come up to you this morning and say, I really sensed that the Lord had laid this on my heart for you. Do with it what you want. But what I was saying was the exact thing that the Lord's been saying to you, then that may, and I'm not saying does, but it may come as a confirmation of what the Lord was already stirring in you. You get what I'm saying there? <clears throat> and it does not have to be a job specifically. That's just an example. But if you're sensing that the Lord is stirring something in your heart even now, Whatever that stirring or that plan or that idea may be, it's important to test the spirits to that stirring as well. 
Test it according to God's will. Testing it by allowing the Lord to confirm that through godly people in His body. And when you get that confirmation, then at least you have something to go on. But friends, we don't just run off because we have our plan and our idea. He doesn't just pick out one person and then have everybody else close their ears. So then, how can we know when a true prophet is speaking? Well, John's going to give us some specific tests here beginning at verse 2. He says, <clears throat> By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of Antichrist which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. Did you catch that? Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. My friends, true prophecy and true teaching will present a true Jesus. Now in John's day and age, there was a theological debate over the nature of Jesus. And that debate centered around the idea of who Jesus really was. And there are many people who say, yes, Jesus is God. I mean, look at all the miracles that he performed. I mean, look at his resurrection from the dead. Not just anybody does that. I mean, look at the words that he spoke. So they don't have a problem with Jesus being God. However, they may not believe that he was also really man. And there were people in Jesus' day who denied that he was real flesh and blood but what john's saying here in verse true is that in verse two is that's not true jesus did come in the flesh he was fully god and fully man and anyone who denies that jesus came in the flesh is not speaking the truth and if they're not telling the truth about jesus then they're not speaking for god and anybody who is really speaking for, for God is going to really tell the truth about Jesus, isn't he? Now, I find this very interesting because in our day and age, there are some groups who claim to speak for God but to deny that Jesus is God. Did you know that the Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is really God? They believe he's kind of like a junior God. He's kind of like a subordinate, but he's not the true God. Mormons don't believe that Jesus is God. Well, in a way they do and in a way they don't. They believe Jesus is God, but they also believe that any one of us can become a God. In other words, he's not the sovereign God that rules the universe. Muslims do not believe that Jesus is God. They believe that that would be the utmost in blasphemy to call Jesus Christ God. 
And that, my friends, is the issue for many people today. Is Jesus really God? But I want you to notice something here. Back in John's day, just decades after Jesus left this earth and ascended into heaven, the debate wasn't about whether Jesus was God or not. Everybody knew that. The real debate was, was he really man? And this false teaching said that Jesus was truly God, which was correct, but they said that he was some kind of make-believe man. My friends, can I tell you something this morning? We need to be as passionate about saying Jesus is God, and he is. Jesus is God. But it's no less important for us today to say that Jesus is a man. Because it is both the deity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus that would save us. And I realize that that's something very hard for us to wrap our heads around. And honestly, I don't think God actually expects us to really understand it. It's pretty deep. But we just believe it. Because John also wrote in his gospel, in John 20, verse 31, it says, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. That's why this was written. And that scripture tells us that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. He's not a human at the expense of his deity, and he's not divine at the expense of his humanity. There was a time in eternity where the second person of the Trinity, where God the Son added humanity to his deity. It wasn't a subtraction. He didn't take anything away from his deity. He added humanity to his deity. And now forever, Jesus is the God-man. And that's why John looks at us and says, listen, if you're not telling the truth about Jesus, whether they deny that Jesus is God or whether they deny Jesus as a man, the broader issue is here, are people telling the truth about Jesus Christ? And this principle of presenting a true Jesus is essential to testing the spirits. If someone presents a false Jesus or a Jesus who is untrue from the Scriptures, they cannot be regarded as a true prophet. End of story. They're not really from God. You know, there's something I've always found really interesting. You know, you'll see from time to time, like the cover of Newsweek or Time magazine or some PBS television special, and they, there seems to be this fascination or interest with discovering the real Jesus. And many so-called scholars say they want to discover the true Jesus. Do you know what they mean when they say that? Let me interpret that for you. What they're trying to tell us 
is that the true Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. We need to discover the real truth. The Jesus behind all these myths of the Bible. And I admit, I get very angry with that. The Holy Spirit within me rises up and literally shouts, No! This is so wrong! Look, when you try to reduce everything that Jesus ever said or did into a myth, a story along the same lines as the Three Little Pigs or Red Riding Hood or Hansel and Gretel, you're going to get some serious pushback from me. And I hope from you as well. And I'm telling you that those scholars who come and tell you that we can just throw out the biblical Jesus because he's a myth, because he's not historical, frankly, they're ignorant. And do you know why they're ignorant? Because they're ignoring the awesome historical validity of the New Testament. My friends, the New Testament is a historical document. It talks about real people, real places, real times. And when you go back and do the archaeology and you do the history, it stands up for itself. Everything that can be independently substantiated is independently substantiated. And now if what can be proven is proven to be true historically, then I can confidently take what things cannot be proven as historically reliable, but some scholars will reject the overwhelming historical evidence because they can't explain the supernatural that's contained within it. My friends, that is not a scholarly position. That's just personal bias. That's making up their mind and saying it's not true based on their opinion. So not only is it ignorant, but it's also arrogant. Their opinion supersedes the facts. And then these scholars try to present their alternate truth as fact. History deals in facts, not vague opinions. And I tell you, my friends, and I can't say this strong enough, we need to be settled about the truth about Jesus Christ. What the Bible says about Jesus Christ is true. You can trust it. You can stake your life confidently upon it. So do they present a true Jesus? And if they're not presenting a true Jesus, look what John says here in verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is the spirit of Antichrist. To deny the true Jesus is the basis of the spirit of Antichrist. Friends, I want you to really understand something very important this morning. Are you ready? The devil doesn't care at all 
if you love Jesus. The devil doesn't care at all if you know Jesus. The devil doesn't care at all if you pray to Jesus just as long as it's a false Jesus. If it's a false Jesus, have at her. And I cannot stress enough just how critically important this is, and you can probably tell by how worked up I am about it. Friends, it's so easy for us in our desire to be non-confrontational and not to offend, to see people in our community from the Latter-day Saints or the Jehovah's Witness, and they believe their doctrines that their churches teach about Jesus, and we think, oh, but they're such good folk. You know, they're doing their best. You know, they're so sincere. I mean, they talk about Jesus. They, they seem to know Jesus, and they seem to care about Jesus. But my friends, here's the critical issue, and believe me, I say this with great sadness in my heart. The critical issue is that the Jesus they believe in is not the true Jesus. It's a make-believe Jesus. It is not the Jesus of the Bible. And the devil doesn't care if we believe in that Jesus at all. He cares if we follow the true Jesus that's revealed to us in the Bible. And this is why this is such a critical issue because a false Jesus can't save you because a false Jesus is not really there. Look at verse 4. John says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Oh, friends. A child of God need not fear the spirit of Antichrist. Of course should we should be warned of it, but we don't need to fear it. Why? Because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God within us. And it's greater than he who is in the world. We have a resource for victory. We have the indwelling Spirit of Jesus living us, and if we rely on He who is in us, instead of in our own strength, what confidence and what power comes into our Christian lives when we truly understand who we are in Jesus Christ and when we're walking in His truth our victory is assured. The enemy will not overcome us. Do you know that this verse is a promise from God? It's not a wishful hope so. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And maybe you came in here this morning afraid. You know something? Sometimes I get a little fearful. Sometimes I look at the dangers that are out there and the things that can confront me as an individual and the things that confront us as a church. And I get afraid. I get afraid for you guys. But then I'm reminded that there's no place for fear in the Christian life. 
because he who is in you is greater. And even though we have many spiritual enemies, not one of them is greater than Jesus who is in us. Amen? John continues in verse 5, They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Those who are in the world speak like the world does. The influence of the world is evident in their speech. So let me ask you something this morning. In your normal daily conversation, would anybody know that you're a Christian or at least that you have even some high moral standard by the way you speak? And I know for some of you, that hits pretty close to home. (laughs) And sometimes we chalk it up for the environment that we work in. And I know it's a terribly hard habit to break. But can I just say to you, don't make peace with it, please. Seek God. Let Him transform not only your life, but let Him transform your speech so that you would not speak as of the world. But notice something else here in verse 5. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. You see, they don't face rejection like the child of God will face from the world. Because they're friends of the world. And this brings up another thought in my heart. When it says that the world hears them, we need to take caution on that. Look, as Christians, we want to reach the world with the gospel, right? We want to present it in a way that they can hear and they can understand. And it's exciting when the world will listen to the gospel. But we must take care that the world isn't listening to us because we're speaking as the world. And we must speak so that the world can understand but never speak as the world. Friends, understand this. Just because the world is hearing the message doesn't prove that the message is God's message. (laughs) We see churches in the States, very large churches that are not preaching the Bible, that are not preaching God's Word or the true Gospel or representing Jesus accurately at all, and they're packed. We need to speak the word of God. So John goes on to say in verse 6, We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. 
By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You see, those who are of God enjoy fellowship with other believers. There's that common ground, that common language of fellowship with one another. I mean, just quickly, show of hands, how many of you have ever gone to another church, you know, in another city or province or country, and you just felt when you're in this church, like, it's family. I mean, I've done that tons of times. I'll walk into a church and it's kind of like, wow, like, I don't know any of them, but they're my family. They're my brothers and sisters. And you can tell when they are a family. Or there's times when you'll go into the church and you go, I don't feel comfortable here at all, <laughs> right? And you, and you sense that, right? But I want you to know something. John makes it very clear here that you can know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. How? Look at verse 6 again. This is very important. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. So tell me, who do you think the us is that he's referring to here? Who is the we? Now some of you might say, all Christians or all people in the church. But I don't think that's where John's getting at here. You know, I think he's talking about when he says us and we, is he's talking about the apostles who brought forth the authoritative doctrine to the early church. He's speaking of the New Testament. In other words, what he's saying is, he who knows God hears us. And if you really know God, you're going to hear what the apostles are saying. And where do the apostles say it? In his word. You see, when we understand who is hearing what God has taught us, through the apostles, as recorded in the New Testament, it helps us to know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And how do you know if it's the spirit of truth? They're hearing the apostles. And how do you know if it's the spirit of error? They're not hearing the spirit of the apostles. The bottom line is this. If it's what the Bible teaches, it's of God. If it's not what the Bible teaches, don't bet on it for a minute. It's not from the Lord. If someone hears what God has said in the Bible, we know that they have the spirit of truth. If they don't hear it, then they have the spirit of error. Now there's something very striking about that phrase, isn't it? The spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John makes it very clear that error has a spiritual dynamic to it. He's not talking about being educated or being smart. It's not an intellectual thing. You could be smart and still have the spirit of error because it's a spiritual dynamic. And since error has a spiritual dynamic to it, Keeping in the spirit of truth is also a spiritual issue. 
And that's why we need to stay close to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? So that we don't get led astray by the spirit of error. And this kind of brings us around full circle, doesn't it? We started off talking about the importance of the true Jesus. And now we talk about keeping in the spirit of truth by keeping in Jesus. And and we keep in the spirit of truth when we're clinging to Jesus. My friends, I really don't know where this section of 1 John chapter 4 hits you this morning. Maybe this week you've had some deception, some spirit of error come up in front of you and you didn't even recognize it as such. And maybe as we've been going through our text, you realize what it was now. Maybe the Lord's just preparing you for something that you're going to encounter this week. Whatever the case, we must see the importance of clinging to Jesus and staying with the testimony of the New Testament, the Old Testament, God's Word, given to us by the apostles and prophets. And let's pray and ask Him to seal that in our hearts right now. Father, Your Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Through your Holy Spirit, we have everything that we need for life and godliness to walk on that path. Lord, we cling to you. We hide your word in your heart so that we don't sin against you. Lord, your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing of soul and spirit. Lord, there are so many verses about how important your word is in our lives. And Lord, sadly, how often we base our opinions, our thoughts, our plans on our feelings, on our emotions. And our eyes aren't focused on the true, real Jesus. Lord, I just pray that you will give us a hunger for your word. Not only to have a close, intimate relationship with you, but because of that close, intimate relationship with you, that then you can protect us from error. Lord, we want to serve you. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want to be fooled into causing your name harm. Lord, we want to see the world come to know you. Know that our God is greater. So Lord, may we just allow you to be greater in our lives. Give you more and more of our hearts and our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.